we're just thankful for, um, for our two staff and how they can serve in the way they are today. Um, and for these people who fill in for Benj in, in his absence, the gifts that you've given us are great, Lord, as a church. But Father, our, our prayer is for Benj as he leads uh, with some of our people uh, in, in the worship experiences at that conference in Waterloo. We pray, God, you would lead him and you would fill him and you would inspire him and you would touch the lives of those young people deeply. Father, for our, uh, our teenagers at Pitch and Praise with John, we just ask, God, that these, these days can be days, first and foremost, of encounter with you. And that, Lord, as they are there, as they are hearing the speakers, as they are enjoying the bands and, and the praise that's offered there, um, we would ask, our God, that you would uh, touch their lives very deeply also and that they would know they are in the presence of God and that God has spoken to them. And we pray, Lord, you give them the grace and the faith just to say yes to you over and over again as they step into the life of following Jesus. And God, we pray for ourselves now. Um, as we, as we uh, look into your word, we would pray that uh, you would do the very same thing here, that we would have ears to hear. Um, not ears that are closed to your word, not ears that are, that are, that are um, deaf, but, Lord, ears that are eager to, to know and understand what it is which is in your mind, which is in your heart. And to find ways, Lord, in our own lives to bring glory and honor to you. So, Lord, uh, speak now. Work here. Work at other locations. Work around the world, Father, as your people on this day come together to sit under the ministry of your word and be transformed by it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to tackle a, uh, a hot topic today. Um, at the suggestion of our elders, to tell you the truth, they want, wanted me to bring you this hot topic. It's more a hot topic in the church than in the world generally. I do know that some people might contest this, uh, that it's, it's not such a hot topic out there anymore. But I want to talk about the reality of, of homosexuality. Um, you know, in the last 15 or so years, I would guess, the, the thinking uh, of, of this issue in Canada has shifted dramatically, the government has brought in gay marriage and so forth. But in the church, it's still a big question in, in many quarters. The elders wanted me to address this issue from a biblical perspective with you uh, because there has been an initiative within our denomination, again, uh, to change our belief and practice uh, regarding this topic. Um, and I'll explain a little more uh, later on. But, you know, the idea would be that if this initiative were to take root, if it were to be enshrined, if you would, in our doctrine and, and, and in the laws governing our congregations, our denomination, it would, it would end up with uh, our church ordaining, practicing uh, gay and lesbian people and uh, marrying, uh, doing, doing gay marriages. Um, and we just felt it was really important that I stand up before you and tell you this is happening and to speak to the issue uh, directly and to share our belief about these things. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. It is a bit of a hot topic, right? It is a bit of an issue. I know it's a difficult topic sometimes to discuss. The reality is that the way this discussion has been formed in our society is that if you take a position other than the one that is now popular in our culture, that you are pretty quickly accused of homophobia and of hatred. Um, one of the things I want to say right up front, like from, from the get-go, as they say, is that's not the reality of where we're at as IPC. As you will hear, it's not about hating anybody or, or, or homophobia. It's, it's about something dramatically different. 
Um, another reason this is sometimes difficult to discuss because this reality has touched the lives of many families, sons, daughters, siblings, aunts, uncles, and so forth, parents um, who identify as, as gay or as lesbian. Um, in the end, people really want what's best for their loved ones. And that's totally understandable. And it easily becomes a very emotional discussion. So it isn't easy to, uh, to, to bring a thoughtful and different perspective to the table, as I think I will today. And it isn't easy to have a respectful and good conversation. Um, something that I hope we will be able to entertain as a church, as need be, going forward. So in talking about this issue, I want to sort of lay the groundwork by bringing to you several principles just to give some context in terms of what the bible has to say about this and then we'll dig into a text a little bit i would suggest to you that first and foremost the primary message of the scripture about people who have same-sex attraction is this that god loves them he really really loves them very much that, that these people are people made in the image of God, that Jesus died for these people, that the Lord desires with all of his heart to be in relationship with them. Um, he desires that they come to a place of faith in Christ and be made his own. The message of the Bible is clear. God loves all people. Everybody. And I want to tell you, if God loves all people, we are too as well. We are too as well. About a month ago, we had a man here speaking, Maher from Lebanon, a Youth for Christ worker. Some of you will remember that talk. I want to tell you what that man said about the, the path that God has taken him on in his home country of Lebanon really impacted me. Um, he told us in his growing up years for a couple of decades the neighboring country, Syria, uh, essentially took over Lebanon and caused great suffering in his country. It was essentially persecution and, and harm done to many, many people. Um, and now the reality is that, that with the war in Syria, there are hundreds of thousands of people streaming over the border, or have already. Over a million Syrian refugees have come into Lebanon. And, uh, you know, they're struggling, they're hurting, of course, they're displaced, they have need for shelter and clothing and food, and, and just a, 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 in desperate straits. And what Maher, in his heart of hearts, along with many, many other Lebanese people encountered was, you know, this idea, let them suffer. Just let them suffer. <laughs> after what they have done to us, after what they have done to our country, who cares? But God came in his grace and in his goodness, and he spoke into Maher's life, and God said, love them. Even these people who are your enemies, and he quoted Jesus' command, he said, love them. And since Maher has decided, he has chosen in his heart to love these Syrian people, many Syrian Muslims have come to encounter the reality of Christ through him and his co-workers and youth for Christ. And have come to know and believe in Jesus. I loved it. Such a powerful example of, quite frankly, what we seek to do here at IPC. We love first and then we talk about Jesus. We have to love anybody in this world. You know, my experience with, uh, you know, this, uh, this, if you would, gay question and, and many other things that are going on in our world is that we have said as a church, 
And I don't mean just IPC, but I've heard it so often over the course of my life. We are to love the sinner and we are to hate the sin, right? Common phrase. But I want to tell you too, too often we have hated the sin, but we have also hated the sinner. And for that, we need to repent. We really do. If in the past we haven't loved as Jesus loves, if in the past we haven't expressed the heart of God to these folks in the way that God calls us to, my goodness, my friends, it's time now to live and, and to act differently. So number one, we love. It's the call of Scripture. Secondly, by way of context, we cannot talk about the practices of the gay community, the lifestyle that they live, the activities they engage in without recognizing we are all broken sexually and we all struggle with sexual sin. If that's not you, I'd like to know you and shake your hand because I'd be impressed. But that's the reality. We live in this fallen world, don't we? It's just the reality from whatever perspective we come to this at. And when we speak... Uh, of a countercultural position, which essentially the biblical one has become, we cannot forget the teaching of Jesus. When he said to his people then, and he says it to us now, to take the log out of your own eye first, and then have the capacity to take the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye. You see the difference? So we speak and we act in love, number one, and secondly, we speak and we act out of what? Humility? We're not better than anybody else. We're sinners too. We speak in humility and we speak in grace. I want to tell you, my friends, for the people who claim the name of Jesus, there is no place for judgment and condemnation. None. And we must engage this discussion in this way. And point number three in terms of laying the context is this. Um, and just to bring clarity, this might surprise a little, it might prompt some of you to go back to scripture and rethink a little bit i don't know but the bible does not speak against people being gay not in my experience and i've read the book a long time what it addresses is human behavior what it talks about is acting based on the desires which are part of such people it's the same with us who may be heterosexual you see, whether we're homosexual with orientation, whether we are heterosexual in orientation, when we act in a way that is outside the boundaries that God has established for sexual behavior, um, we're doing something that is contrary to God's will. And the Bible calls it sin. So what we need to do today, my friends, is to look at the Bible. And I want to tell you, there is so much I could say about this. It would be one long, long sermon or several. And I've just chosen to speak once to this. But we've got to go to the Bible, and, and I wanted to zero in on the critical reality of what Scripture brings to us. And I'm going to speak primarily from Genesis chapter 2. Let me say this to you. If, if I haven't said it before, or maybe whether you've remembered it before or not, I don't know. But you really can't understand the whole span of the Bible if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The first three chapters of the Bible are absolutely foundational about what this faith is. You know... What we have is God in Genesis 1 and chapter 2 describing creation and the reality of what's there. What we have in Genesis chapter 3 is our rebellion against God, sin and evil entering into the world, our being transformed and changed in a negative way. And in that moment, God set a plan in place which would take us through the Old Testament all the way to the life of Jesus and the cross. He set in plan 
he set in place a plan to bring salvation to the world, to fix what got broken in Genesis chapter 3. And then he says to his church, by the way, now that I have come and the Holy Spirit has descended and is filling you, I want you to get busy and keep busy until this world is transformed and it becomes again what is described in Revelation chapter 3, which equates, quite frankly, with Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, where the will of God is done and sin and evil is no more and death is no more. It's like going back to the future, right? So what's, what's happening in these early chapters of the Bible are absolutely critical for us in so many ways. And what we see when we look at Genesis chapter 2 is, 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 is what God designed for us. This is his plan. This is his desire. This is paradise for the human being when we walked with God and we knew God and our needs were satisfied and everything was just as God desired it. What do we see there? God creates the world and the universe and so on and so forth. And then eventually he creates Adam, um, who pretty quickly it's identified in Scripture that he's alone. He's lonely. He's lacking something. What God does then is create Eve. And I want to read to you Genesis 2, verses 20 to 23. We'll start in the second half of Genesis 20. But still there was no helper just right for him, for Adam. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while the man slept. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Um, this is an incredible moment for Adam, of course. Here was someone who was like him, taken from his substance, yet unique and distinct too. Here was someone with whom he could share his life, he could have companionship with, he could share love with. And then marriage is described, verses 24 and 25. The first time marriage is described, probably the foundational understanding of marriage. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, and that's done. It's the, 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 the teaching, the sense is it's public, and it's clear. He leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, this, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is marriage. This beautiful description of, of union between two peoples physically and spiritually and emotionally and mentally this beautiful intimate relationship which god gave to them it was his 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 intention it was his plan now i want you to understand this as you read these verses this this description of physical union god created sexuality if you haven't grappled with that do it it's his idea he planned it he created people with bodies such as we have. He gave them the desire for one another such as is described here. He allowed these people to come together. He brought Eve to Adam to share especially two things. One is companionship, this intimate connectedness, but also to produce children. Remember the phrase, be fruitful and multiply? From a biblical perspective, producing children is part of marriage. It just is. So there it is. This, is the, this, if you would, is the will of God. It's the desire of God. It is the ideal. It is the intention of the Lord. It is marriage as defined by God. Just before I move ahead into Genesis chapter 3, I want to bump to Genesis chapter 5, 
verses 1 and 2. To me, very important verses. It says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself. Powerful teaching, significant. He created them, how? Like himself? Male and female. And he blessed them and called them human. You know what the teaching is here, my friends? And I think it's incredibly significant in the discussion that there is something in the togetherness of a man and a woman, in the union of a man and a woman in every way, which reflects the nature of God. And thus, it's th this, this sort of reality is written into the, cre it's the creation ordinance, if you would. It's part of God's reflection in us, not just individuals, but these two together reflecting the nature of God. Well, what happens, of course, is that a problem occurs in Genesis chapter 3, as I've suggested. Something happens whereby human beings choose to disbelieve what God has given and said. They rebel against God and his word, his instruction. They have experienced paradise, but they, they sin, and, 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 and evil enters into creation. And I want to tell you this thing, this paradise which God had designed and created and put in place is destroyed. Um, something in sexuality that God created to provide unity and intimacy soon began to produce just the opposite. It began to produce disunity. It began to produce harm. It began to produce even destruction in human lives. And think about the reality. Today, what happens? Illicit affairs happen, leading to painful divorces. People are, are, are shattered. Families are destroyed. You know, sex is often used, and we hear about it so much in, in, in the news, and sometimes, and I'm sure people here have experienced it, sex is used to abuse people, to harm them. And we've talked in recent months about having partners prior to marriage sexually, which really damages a capacity for intimacy and, to, and trust so that when marriages eventually arrive, that, that intimacy and trust is hard to take hold of in the way God intended. You see, when we so violate God's boundaries, which he has given to us, by removing sex from the sacred covenant relationship of marriage, the outcome is consistently harm. So where does all this leave someone who is gay or lesbian, even otherwise. Well, for those who really trust God, who really take God's word seriously, who um, want to follow Jesus with all of their hearts, they are called to a life of singleness and abstinence sexually. Um, and that, by the way, is both for people who have a homosexual orientation and a heterosexual orientation. Singleness in the Bible, and I don't know if, again, you've thought through this a lot. Maybe it's something that we need to, to speak to someday, but singleness in the Bible is an incredibly high calling. It is an honored calling in Scripture, even offered to us and recommended for us by the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, the person of Jesus Christ embraced it himself, and he lived it. And as such, singleness is got called good by God. Now, some would say, Chris, you know, how can you talk this way if we indeed embrace some of the, embrace some of the thoughts from our culture? 
one of the thoughts is, you know, but people are born this way, and if they're born this way, it's the way God wants them to be. It's a very common belief. It's been very significant in the development of the thinking of our culture. But I want to tell you from God's perspective, from the Scripture's perspective, the answer to that statement is no. Just because someone is born in a particular fashion does not mean it's what God has for them. We live in a fallen world. We really do. And just because we have a particular desire does not mean that God has placed it there. The perfection, the paradise has been marred. As a matter of fact, we need to believe the opposite. Just because we desire it, we need to make sure we understand that it might be wrong. I I was watching uh, some years ago now an interview between Katie Curry and Rick Warren on the TV when California was having its vote about whether to embrace gay marriage. And uh, Katie Katie Curry brought this point, and she said, you know, but, you know, people are born this way. It's natural to them. And I was shocked by Rick Warren's response that anybody would say this, never mind a famous minister of the gospel. He said, listen, every time I see a beautiful, I want to have a beautiful woman. I want to have sex with her. Just because I want it doesn't make it right. And honestly, Katie Curry was stunned. (laughs) I was stunned. (laughs) I think if you had heard it, you would have been stunned. But he was making a profound point. Our desires, because we have desire, does not justify it, does not make it right, and certainly does not make it right in the eyes of God. See, see the the thought is, too, though, sometimes if, if we take this position, if we hold this position, if we call people to celibacy, if we call people to abstinence, if we call them to singleness, you know, aren't we condemning gay people to an unfulfilled life with no love and no intimacy? Can that be right? My friends, this is where we need to go back to an understanding of the love of God for such folks. Rather than denying people life, if you want to put it in quotes, The call to faithful obedience in Christ is always, note the word, always a call to the fullness of life in him. This call is, from God's perspective, a deeply loving call. And from God's perspective, as it was for the person of Jesus, it's an incredibly good way to live. You know, last week Chuck Congram was here, and if you were here, you heard him talk about our core longings. Core longings are those deepest desires of the human heart, which we ultimately need to be satisfied, to be met, if we are to know joy and goodness and and life to the full. And he talked about the, the core longing for belonging, the core longing for love, the core longing for security and for safety, the core longing to be understood and so forth. I want to tell you this, my friends. The deepest longings of our lives are not met through a sexual relationship nor are they met in a human relationship. And no matter what our orientation, we've got to get beyond that thinking. The core longings of the, uh, of the life of a human being, they are only met by a discovery of and a deep experience of the living God. Encountering in a very spiritual and profound way the reality of God in our lives so that we know belonging in him and that we know his love and that we are understood by him and we know it and we find security and safety in him try to find these things in other people and you will be disappointed because other people cannot provide that to you but God can 
Now I want to tell you, in the Christian life, we are called repeatedly to self-denial in order to find what? Life. In the Christian life, we are called repeatedly to die to ourselves so that we can really live. It's this, this almost ironic uh, reality. And each of us in our own way, no matter who we are, are to experience the reality of what it means to die to self. We are to experience the reality of self-denial in an ongoing fashion in order to find life. And you know what I want to tell you? When you discover that, you will find life. But I will also tell you, you will find a difficult challenge, a hard road at times. Very hard at times. And we all experience it in different ways. But it is this which the love of God calls people to, to experience same-sex attraction. And through abstinence sexually, um, again, whether heterosexual or homosexual, if, if unmarried, according to God's definition, people can find those deep longings met and satisfied in Christ, and they can know life and life eternal with great joy, meaning, and purpose. Now, some in our denomination are interpreting Scripture in a way... Um, that's different from how it has been interpreted for 2,000 years of church history. Um, in order, I would suggest to you to justify a new perspective that has taken hold in our country, in our world, at least this part of the world. Um, and I want to suggest to you that the way they're interpret interpreting Scripture is faulty, and it is biased. I would suggest to you the real issue in our denomination is not so much the gay issue. That's the question at hand. The real issue is how we will read and interpret the Bible. The historic orthodox understanding of Scripture interpreted in the way that the Scripture calls us to and so forth is what we hold on to and some are wishing to take us in a new direction. Um, but I want to tell you this, regardless of the reality of interpretation, Every reference to homosexual, homosexual activity in the Bible is a negative one. Not once is it otherwise. So we here at IPC, with love and with grace and with humility, are holding on to the teaching of Scripture, and we are calling people to faithfulness and obedience to the Lord Jesus. Homosexual or heterosexual. We are called to live in faith before the Lord. Now, in three weeks from now, our General Assembly, that's the national annual meeting that happens, half ministers, half elders from churches, 300 delegates usually, is going to meet in Vancouver. And uh, overtures have been sent, actually three of them simultaneously, essentially the same overture. An overture is just a way of asking the assembly to do something. Three presbyteries of our church have uh, sent overtures asking that our um, position that is long-standing uh, be changed. Our session and many others alike have sent overtures to General Assembly asking them not to change the position. And actually, our presbytery of Paris supported in, large, in a large majority the overture that our session sent. Um, Chances are unlikely that in spite of what's been asked, that a decision will be made in four days. That's what has been requested. It would be most un-Presbyterian to do that. We don't do anything quickly. Like, 
So chances are we'll be heading into a season of discussion, prayer, biblical reflection, and in two or three years come to a decision. Um, although it's possible that it happened in three weeks. But I want to tell you, in 1994 and in 2003, this issue came to the same, in the same way to our assembly in those years, and uh, the issue was overwhelmingly rejected. This church said no, in the high 90s was the percentage vote. Um, what will happen this time? We are in a position of saying we don't know. We don't know. As I've said, the culture has changed profoundly, dramatically, and we know how much culture influences the church. Um, and we as a session are engaged in entering into a time of serious discussion as to what we might do if this ever passed. And we uh, don't know what that would be yet, to be quite honest with you. But what we are asking from our congregation is that you would pray for us, and that we would really know the mind, the heart of God, know how to proceed. And we pray that you would support us as we go forward. I want to conclude this morning by bringing to you the final word on this. What is the final word? Can you guess? love that's got to be where we settle on this my friends we are called to be like jesus and if jesus was to confront any this issue if he's to confront any person even someone hostile to the position that we were taking i think the first thing he would say to such a, such a person is i love you because he does and we as a church must embrace this Yes, we believe in the truth of the word of God. Yes, we believe it to be inspired and, 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 and to be communicating the mind and the heart of God. But we have to follow and trust as we are rooted in love. We must trust and follow as we are rooted in love. You know, my friends, there's a role for the church of Christ in this day, in this community. And that is to be in relationship with people who need to know Jesus. To respect them, to be good to them, to care for them, to befriend them, to love them. Part of the concern, the charge is how can you doom someone to a life that has no love and intimacy in it? My friends, the love of God is available to those folks. And the love of God must come to them through the church of Jesus Christ. They need to have a family that holds arms open wide and say, and, and which says, come to me. Come to me. So my friends, we will seek to be faithful and we will seek to stand firmly on the side of the clear teaching of Scripture, rightly interpreted. But we will also stand with arms wide open that we might love people who need a home, who need a family, who need the blessing and the goodness and the grace of Jesus mediated to, to them through his people. I recognize that this conversation has the potential to stir things up. And there are probably two poles in this church, aren't there? Those who would wish us to be, you know, what might be called more gay-friendly and those who might be saying, no, Chris, you've got to be stronger. We wish to be biblical, <laughs> and we will be. But it's possible that uh, 
feelings and thoughts have been stirred up and there may be need for further dialogue. So what we have chosen to do is this Thursday night, 7 o'clock, at the, in the life group room, that's the room right at the end of our hall that I'm looking at. Um, I'm going to come and, and probably the other ministers of our church and other people just to give the opportunity for individuals just to sit down and talk about these things. There is so, so much to talk about. I've tried to condense this into half an hour and tried to hit the main points. But if you'd like to come and talk, that would be great. Um, no matter what side of the issue we're on, we don't imagine everybody agrees entirely with everything that's been said here. But we just felt it really important to give people that opportunity. And we'd love to sit down respectfully, lovingly, dialoguing about these things. And you're invited. If you'd like to come, please do that Thursday night at 7 o'clock. But can I conclude with the final word? Let's love. Let's love the people Jesus loved. Let's love the people Jesus died for. And let's be like him. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize very often that your, your mind is not our mind. So often we've said this here. We don't think like you because you are God. We think like human beings. And Lord, we recognize that our rational faculty has been marred by sin, and sometimes it's hard for us to get our heads around your thoughts. But God, this we know, you are a God of love. And we are to be people of love. And our prayer is through our own lives, our prayer is through the life of this congregation corporately, that we would communicate that love to all people. People of gay and lesbian orientation also. But God, we desire to know and to live out in obedience your call. And we pray that you'll help us to do that with humility and with grace. God, allow us to be part of what you are doing in this world. We say it so often. Allow us to reach out in love and to share the message of Christ so that people might find life. People might find their core longing satisfied in you so that they know life and know life to the full. God, we pray your blessing upon our church in these days. The Presbyterian Church in Canada, Lord, guide this process. And we pray that your will would be done. God, we pray that your will would be done. And we pray, Lord, for the session of this church, the elders, that you would give them wisdom as they give leadership. Make them wise, sensitive, loving, gracious. More than anything else, Lord, just speak into our minds, the minds of these men and these women, that we might lead this church forward well um, in a way that's consistent with your heart. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you communicate your mind to us. It's remarkable that you do, but we thank you for it. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to live according to your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name.